You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. He was runner-up to Les Nessman for the Buckeye Newshawk Award. Welcome to the Jim Day Podcast. Hey, everybody. Thanks for checking out the Jim Day Podcast. Hope all is well in your world, wherever you are or however you are listening. And however you are listening, if you could do us a favor and hit that subscribe button. Some people just kind of come back and check us out. But if you hit the subscribe button, uh, most of the devices will tell you when a new episode arrives. We've been dropping these on Monday, but who knows? Some days we might miss or... We all need reminders in this world, do we not? So hit the subscribe button. We would appreciate that. A five-star rating would be great. Scroll on down there and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. And we've had some great conversations. If you're just picking us up, we've said it before, we'll say it again. These are all evergreen conversations. So if you look back in the archives and you think, wow, I missed something or it's dated, it's not. The conversations, for the most part, are evergreen. So we invite you to go back in the archives and listen to previous episodes because there's some really good and funny stuff in there. Although last week we had a pretty serious conversation with Michael Lorenzen, which uh, I thank him for. I thank him for being an open book. Had a lot of positive comments about that. So uh, we invite you to check that out as well. Doing a little something different again this week, putting most of the laughs aside for a couple of weeks because I get a lot of questions about what goes on on the road or what goes on behind the scenes when you're covering a Major League Baseball team. Well, two guys that would know more than anyone else are the beat writers. I mean, and I'll say this during this podcast, uh, we talk about it a little bit, but to me, the writers, uh, those are the true journalists. I'm just a broadcaster, a, a TV nerd, if you will. Um, the real journalists are the guys that have to write about it, have to be creative in that way. Uh, I just open my mouth and talk. I guess that's creative and it's an art form, but to me, the writers are the ones that uh, really do the work, and they have to work harder as well, uh, particularly traveling around with Major League Baseball because I'm spoiled. I get to travel with the team. I'm very blessed in that regard, um, but they do not, so it is a... Uh, Tough road to hoe, and sometimes they have to ask the tougher questions than I do. Um, So I wanted to take you behind the scenes of what it's like to cover a Major League Baseball team. So this is a roundtable conversation. We're very thankful for John Fay, who I've known for a long time, of the Cincinnati Inquirer. Inquirer, he said, that would be Inquirer. Sorry, first day with the new tongue. Um, And Mark Sheldon of MLB. Dot com And these guys cover the Reds for years now on a daily basis. So we are just going to talk baseball in a roundtable format, see where the conversation goes. Hope you enjoy it here in the Jim Day podcast. John Fay, Mark Sheldon, welcome to the Jim Day podcast. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you. And mine as well. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. I wanted to sit you guys down because fans... Uh, and I'm not reinventing the wheel here. You've had baseball roundtables before, but fans love to go behind the scenes. And 
on a daily basis what we go through behind the scenes because we're up close and personal with the players. It's something that they don't get to do, and we get to take them where they, they can't be. Um, but first, I want to start with who is John Fay and Mark Sheldon? <laughs> I'll defer to John since he's uh, got more experience. <laughs> I'm a Cincinnati guy. Cincinnati guy. Cincinnati yeah. Inquirer's John Fay. Yeah, I, you know, I grew up here, uh, lived here almost all my life, worked in Middletown for a little while. Um, I've been doing the Reds since 97, took a little early retirement and came back. But yeah, you know, I'm. Uh, it's it's an you know it's interesting to cover your hometown team. Yeah. Um, but the, the the team I grew up with is long gone. It's the team that they bring out every time they want to sell some tickets. Uh, the the big red machine. So it, it's been, it's been an interesting job. It's been a fun job. I, the, the team hasn't been very good in most of my years, but uh, I think covering baseball is probably the best job in in sports journalism because it's a daily thing there's always something new always something happening and the access is very good compared to other sports yeah i've always said win or lose there's never a de- uh, bad day at the ballpark for me which is cheesy and it's a cliche but i mean literally we're, we're blessed to do what we do even though you guys have it a little harder than moi right here i will admit all right who's mark sheldon yeah um i grew up 90 minutes away from new york city upstate uh, as a New York Yankees fan, a town was called Pinebush, New York. Uh, one traffic light, if you can believe it. And um, but my connection to Cincinnati was my grandfather, who lived uh, in Loveland and was the Loveland superintendent for 30 years. And of course, my mother was born and raised here. And then, but somehow, I ended up in New York with my dad and my mom and all that. Uh, but I did come to the University of Cincinnati to be a political science major and a future lawyer. And somehow, some way, I ended up as an intern at Channel 5 WLWT. And suddenly, as my mom pointed out, I spent a lot more time at the TV station than I did at the law library. And I wasn't cut out to be a lawyer. It's understandable. Obviously. And I, I covered a three-alarm fire on my first night, and I was hooked on journalism. And uh, from Channel 5 interning, I eventually went to work at Channel 5 mm-hmm. for a couple of years as an assignment editor. Then I went on to ESPN as an assignment editor. And actually, I'm probably one of the few men or women in America that doesn't like ESPN as far as the working experience. I didn't enjoy it very much. So I moved back here and eventually got a job at the Channel 5 website. And then MLB.com launched in 01. And I started covering the Minnesota Twins for five seasons. And then I was able to bring it back here to Cincinnati in 2006. And I, like John says, it is a great job. I'm very lucky to have it. It's a nonlinear path to get here, but baseball has always been my first love, and uh, I get to do things I've always dreamed of doing, and it's it's fantastic. All right, I can't glance over something you said. You did not like your experience at ESPN. Why? Um, I think it was a lot of it is my time in the Midwest made me less able to handle the East Coast demands as far as people were very demanding they're not a lot of pleas and thank yous I, I found myself being kind of the the guy that was getting yelled at from above but also from six month temporary production assistance from below at, at 21 years old were barking orders at me asking me to sh- you know ship things for them or get something for them without much respect shown and I just noticed it wasn't I wasn't happy there. I was sitting at a cubicle all day. It wasn't what I envisioned. It was more or less working in an office. If you just you could put any company name on it, right. but I was basically in a cubicle all day. Now I did get to watch TV and sports the entire time I was there. It was not like going into the coal mines all day, but it was a job that just wasn't for me. And living in middle of nowhere Connecticut also wasn't for me. All right, let's take let's take these listeners through a typical day. And I know the the typical day has changed over the years, but. 
when do you guys arrive at the ballpark and take us through a day? And you both can just jump in and talk amongst yeah, yourselves. This we is usually John arrive talking. about... Just so people know, this yeah, is John yeah. talking. <laughs> Our voices are a little bit similar. But yeah, we, we show up about... Uh, you, you can get in the clubhouse three and a half hours before the game. So you show up about four hours before the game, mm-hmm. get on your computer and kind of go through things. And then you go to the clubhouse. And usually the, the, the way it's worked here is the manager meets pretty much then. Um, so you, you meet with the manager for a little while. Uh, the, the TV guys are there. They go first. And then we have a little time on on our own to ask questions. And, and that kind of sets up your notebook or what you're going to write pregame. And then you go in the clubhouse and you get who you need um, to, to, to basically work the stories that day. Uh, we usually come upstairs and start writing our notes and transcribing what we've recorded probably about 4.30 or so. And uh, we eat and then the game starts. And then you, you, know, you, you watch the game. We're, we're writing during the game because yeah. uh, the way it is now – everyone has to post immediately after the game. So you're, you're, you're writing during the game. Then we go to the clubhouse after the game and add the quotes that we get from the clubhouse. And, you know, it's maybe an hour, hour and a half after the game, our day ends. It's, 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 it's a full day. I'm, again, it's, we're not going to salt mines. We're not breaking rocks. Right. But uh, people who have always come on the road with me, like my wife and wives, my wife's friends, are always like, man, he works a lot. I think, yeah. I think people, people think we're shocked sh- at yeah. how early we come right, to the right. ballpark. They're I like, think, what? You're going to the ballpark at 2 o'clock? I'm yeah. like, yeah. 7 o'clock game. Why would yeah. you get here at 2.30 yeah. or 3 o'clock? Yeah. And it's, well, I have to do my, – my father, every time I tell him I have to yeah. – when I visit, I have to leave now, go to work. He's like, but it's a 7 o'clock game. Why do you right. have to leave? And I'm like, Dad, just yeah, I have well, to leave. I, I'll still have a friends or a brother say, hey – can we grab a quick bite to eat before the game? You know, it's like or get a beer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, they think, especially at TV, they think there's just this magic button that you just put, you know, yeah. turn on and like, ooh, magic. Here's TV. Uh, it takes a lot of time. But what you guys do in particular, uh, I've always respected. I know that there's there's sometimes there's a lot of separation between broadcasters, the the TV nerds, and and the writers. But to me, you guys are the true journalists. I just speak for a living. You guys do the true art, uh, and I've always said that. Uh, what I do is not an art form to me. What you guys do uh, is very, very impressive. Now, I want, he mentioned, John mentioned game stories. You guys have to write that bad boy, and then it'll change in the middle of the game, and then it might change in the ninth. So you literally have to change on the fly all the time. How many times Absolutely. do you write and rewrite during a game? There's been games over the years where my best stories obviously never got seen by anybody yeah. because they changed. But I remember a game last year in Milwaukee where it was one of those ugly, you know, eleven to nine, eleven to ten games, and there was probably four or five lead changes. And my story changed throughout. I mean, it had everything. That game had, you know, bizarre plays. It had right. home runs. It had blown saves. Um, it was a crazy game, and I, th- I think I may have changed my story four times in the middle of that game. And I, I, it was crazy. Scooter Jeanette had some sort of wacky thing with an error. Then he had a hit, mm-hmm. and they made the they made the game or something like that. But it, yeah, you just have to be nimble nowadays, especially. It, what's changed a lot about the business, and John kind of laid through the day perfectly well. But now you have all the access to social media that has to have instant reaction, and then you're writing the stories and you may have to post a story like an in-game story now okay if somebody got injured on the field right you're writing four paragraphs on the fly and then you might flesh it out later after the game and then still write your game story so people that have these deadlines i remember i'll talk to a writer once in a while that's not in sports and they'll be like yeah i got this rough story i gotta 
I got a deadline in a month to get this thing done. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I got 90 yeah. minutes to get this done. Yeah. yeah. Talk it, to me next time. It's, it, you know, a walk-off game is the most exciting thing in baseball, but for a writer, it's a nightmare because yeah. what had just happened just completely changed. And, you know, you see a lot of rallies like where the lead changes late and you're, you're switching and it's, it's – and then all of a sudden – if, if a team has a big lead and it starts slipping away or the Reds are coming back and you're thinking, oh, you know, I, right. I have to start doing this and then figure it out. And a lot of times you write something and then it's like, well, that didn't happen. Boom. You know, lop that and, and publish it because it, the, the, the comeback doesn't get there. So, yeah, it's uh, deadlines very – it's constant. Like, like Mark said, you know, it's, it's 24-7, Twitter, the whole works. Um, it, when, when I started, I – we would write game stories and notes for the paper. And that was the only deadline we had was right. for the paper, at, which was about midnight. And now it's just completely different. It's, it's, it, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, if your phone pops, you have to respond and do that. And that's, that's a, the biggest change in the business. And it's, it's, made it, it's made it all consuming. I think it's made it a lot harder for people too. I don't think there's any question. I mean, back in the day when the, you know, that printed newspaper, which I miss, by the way, of getting that at my door. I'm old school. I like to hold the physical paper in my hand. Uh, you know, you get you get editorial letters, et cetera. That would be your feedback. But you guys, particularly you guys, are getting feedback all the time on social media. And I love Sassy John Fay on Twitter, by the way. Snarky. snarky. Okay, there, sorry. Snarky John Fay. Twitter, it's just one of my favorite things. Uh, you like to have fun, and people take it a little too seriously. Yeah, it's at times it can be a little scary because you you are you are responding to someone who you don't know who they they know who right. you are and you don't know who they are, and, and some people do take it really seriously, and so and you know, you'll get some nasty stuff, but I, I just try to keep a, a little fun, a little light, and I think most of the people that follow me get it get it but there's no like sarcasm font so right. it, 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 sometimes you'll send something out and people will take it literally where i'm yeah. just being sarcastic so it, it's an interesting medium it, it's it's changed baseball reporting completely i mean there are guys well-known guys that that's their medium they they break stuff on yeah. twitter and, and often they'll tweet something and not really even write about it so it's it, it's really different that way i, I think uh it, and again, it's just that in, instantaneous thing where things are boom right now. And it's yeah. really killed the the uh, old school mentality of what a scoop is. It used to be if, in the right. newspaper only age, you had a scoop, and the next day, you, you know, everyone was spending twenty four hours kind of catch up to you. you own that story for at least a full day, and then. Even when I joined in the internet age, stories were still not happening as fast, but they were happening. But you still might have a scoop for several hours, if not part of a day. But now you may have a scoop for 30 seconds. And then it's just whoever MLB trade rumors decides to credit yeah. with that scoop. And Twitter has changed everything. Like John said, there are people that their their trade is now trade rumors, Twitter, and getting yeah. getting big on that. Well, I worry about it changing journalism as a whole because now, particularly in the off season, you know, you got guys that are throwing spitballs against the wall, yeah. saying, "Oh, it's crazy." Uh, such and such talked about such and such player. Well, GMs are picking up the phone all day and talking about hundreds of players, um, and it, they're not stories anymore. This source told me that they're talking. That you know, of course they're talking, but is, is that really a story? I worry about where journalism is going. Do you guys worry about it? 
you, what you're talking about is the um, internal discussions. Which yes. does that mean? Kicking that, the tires. Does yes. that mean that? Uh, That's Dick not a Williams story. Said no. to Nick Crawl, hey, uh, Bryce Harper's a really good player. It'd be great to have him. Does that, does, exactly. That, That's not a story. I, I, I think a lot of guys. I, I'll give them more credit than that, but. I think from guys that cover one team like we do, what happens is if these guys throw that out there, we have to react to it a lot of times. Yeah. And a lot of times it's true, a lot of times it isn't. But there's not a lot of repercussions for people to throw things out there and that, that don't have a lot of basis in, uh, in fact. And th- this group of uh, management with the Reds, they're, they're, they're pretty good at shooting things down. Mm-hmm. Um, but... The, it, it doesn't. It, there's no. It doesn't serve them well to go on record and say no. That's wrong, because it, you can't it just, box yourself in. And yeah, I think the biggest thing that Twitter has changed, or social media in general, is the nuance. Maybe two GMs were having a drink at the winter meetings, and maybe a player came up and, yeah, you want that guy? No, but somehow that becomes discussions, and yeah. it may have taken all of twelve seconds to have that discussion begin and end. But you can't capture that nuance in the character, 140 or 280 characters. And I think, and even during games, you know, we could report something, and especially in the Dusty Baker era, where everyone seemed to really focus in on him. It seemed like no matter what was said or in the in the context it was said, it would be taken in a different way on Twitter. Because, like John says, you can't always kind of present it how it really was in the room because you you, you know it's it's a tweet. Right now, do you guys have to keep in mind? As a society, we our attention span is nil now. I mean, we're speaking of Twitter. We're speaking in 144 characters or whatever. What's the character limit now? It's they upped it. 280 now. 280 now. Yeah. Even if you're speaking in 280 characters, people aren't reading long stories as much. I do still. Do you keep in mind when you're writing a story, let's not make this too long because I don't think people are going to invest enough time in it? 100%. We, we have metrics now. I'm sure the Inquirer has it as well. That tells you not only how many people are going to the story, but how long they're staying on the story to read it. And we've shortened our stories to a degree. Not, not that we're not going to do long-form stories. We will still do them if yeah. they are worthy of being done. But we don't go into the weeds as much on every single little thing. We will present it to you in a, in a way that's easy to read, easy to digest. And, a lot, and more than half of our consumers and readers are doing it on their smartphone devices. So you have to be cognizant of that when you write. Yeah, it's... Uh you can you can actually see how long they spent on it. Really, and, and there, there's a lot of stories where it'll get a lot of page views, but they're on it for 12 seconds, literally like yeah. 12 seconds. They right. they see the headline, they go and they see it, and boom, they're they're on to something else. So yeah, yeah, you have to be cognizant of that, and I think you have to pick your spots when you want to do something more in depth in, in that kind of thing. I, I uh, but I I think by and large, people. One thing that I I got away from is there's a lot of needless background and a lot of stories and it's, it makes them longer. So you just, you, you got to assume that people know so much and, yeah. uh, and, and people that read or are following us on Twitter, they're, they're into it. I mean, they're, yeah. they're up on it. It's, uh, you don't have to tell them who this guy is as much as they recognize the name well, and that, if that you make one little mistake, man, the, the Twitter police, they find you <laughs> right. out there. But you know what? That's or the okay. keyboard cowboys. I'd rather have a story yeah. not be wrong all day. If, and I've had a couple of tweets every now and again on Facebook also. Hey, you, you messed that up and whatever. And most of the time they're polite about it. And I'm like, yeah. oh, God. And I, I will phone in or email yeah. whoever edited my story and let them know I made a mistake. And it's I do appreciate it, actually. 
One thing that I can't stand, and it's actually benefited um, broadcasting because more people are looking to social media and they, they want videos. They want to be they want to see it and be told rather than reading it. I don't I, I just can't stand that newspapers shrinking, newspapers going away, uh, your side of the business shrinking. That drives me crazy. I don't think that's good for anyone. Do you guys worry about the, the future of, of where we're going here? Yes. <laughs> Short answer, yes. I, I, you know, Mark's the same as me. We've been around this for a long time. We know a lot of people who've been laid off. A lot of good people. A lot yeah, of great oh, yeah, writers. Yeah, and it's... Uh, it's disconcerting, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the way it, it goes. It's, it, the newspaper industry has been devastated by it. Uh, you know, that people are getting stuff on their smartphones. And uh, there, there's a lot of explanations for that. But, yeah, it's, 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 it's scary. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm older. I'm 62 years old. You know, I can, I'm going to finish my career doing this. But I always say if I was 42, I'd be thinking, well, I, I, I probably have to figure out something else. Because there, there's just been fewer and fewer jobs, not only in the newspaper industry, but with websites. They've all cut back. Uh, Fox. Yeah. For example, just went away from the printed word for, just for video. It. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's just not just in sports, though. I mean, you look at political coverage, you look at broadcast television, all of it. I just think in the, in terms of where it's going, I'm always a little worried because now it seems like a lot of places are, are doing their own thing. Right. But also, I, I think the lack of sunshine on issues sometimes creates problems, and it create you know you want to mm -hmm. kind of see things in the light. And it, it takes reporters to sometimes flesh that out in all industries, not just sports, not just politics. Uh, I think everyone needs to have something written about. And the lack of communication is always a bad thing. Another thing that I've seen um, in press dining rooms, you know, they're serving breakfast and oh lunch. Oh, God. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> we were getting a little too serious. So, yeah, I had to lighten I, the mood. Thank you. I guess. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Mark Sheldon is a guy that likes breakfast, but he doesn't like breakfast at lunchtime correct and there's often a little brunch in the press dining we pay for our meals by the way people i don't want the misconception out there that they're just giving us free food and we're complaining about that we pay for the meals but during day games often on sundays it's breakfast and it's yeah it's <laughs> I, I would i would love if you know understand why around major league baseball every press dining room serves breakfast on sundays and you keep in mind we get we get up at seven eight in the morning yeah I'll have breakfast at breakfast time. I'm already ha I'm already through breakfast. Breakfast is forgotten. I want about. you to say it like you did to me when I but, want I want breakfast at breakfast time. I want breakfast at <laughs> breakfast time. There should not be breakfast at lunch. I don't want to eat bacon at twelve thirty. I don't like bacon as it is. I don't like sausage and eggs. I want I want French fries. I want pizza. I want a nice turkey sandwich. I want hell you know, something good. I don't need breakfast in the middle Maybe of the day before a game starts. Powdered eggs at noon. No, <laughs> um, it's it's a it's a scourge of, of of humanity that needs to be stopped. Well, let's talk about important things like who has the best press dining around the league. I mean, the, this is pressing journalism here. Who's the, who are the ones that the, come to mind? The Phillies, Phillies for sure. Phillies, yeah. the Yankees. I'm right there with you. The Phillies, man, are on top of their yeah. game. All that guy the time. offers you that ice cream, you can never say no. Well, they got several selections, yeah. and they're just it's just yeah. rock solid. And they mean, have good bread. They have good yeah. entrees. Their fallback, you know, they have chicken fingers. If you don't like anything, they'll always have yeah. at least chicken fingers. That, it's great. The thing with players is, as the season goes on, they lose weight, so they try to you know right. do things to gain. With writers and broadcasters, you gain weight yeah. because yeah. 
the one thing that's pretty universal, it's not very nutritious in any, any no. place. It's not, it's not, if you're on a diet, you're, you're in trouble in press dining rooms. Well, my worst problem is I, you know, it's night, mostly night games and I get off it's like anyone else that gets off work. I'm starved. I mean, I am so hungry, and it's 11 o'clock midnight, you know, and they tell you not to eat. It's not like I'm going to go out and run at 2 in the morning yeah, it's uh, tough. to run it or walk it off. And, you know, I hate going to bed hungry. So it And the only thing open a lot of times. It's a greasy spoon somewhere. Somewhere, a greasy yeah. spoon or bar food or something. So I've tried to wean myself off of the late night eating. Sometimes I'm successful, you know, once in a while. I might get a post-game pop somewhere, but uh, I try very hard not to consume much before bed when I yeah. get done with the game, but it's hard. It is very hard. And again, we're not, the, the yeah. lifestyle is terrific. Uh, we're not complying, particularly me. Um, full disclosure, I travel with the team on the team buses and the team plane, and it's ridiculously nice. It still weighs on you. Travel is travel. Jet lag is jet lag. It still weighs on you. But it's not as bad as you guys. Now, let's talk about you guys have to travel commercially. And some days on a road trip, it is a night game in one city, and you've got to be in another city the next day. And we all know today's TSA airports are such a hassle. This has to be the worst part of your job. Definitely. Um the thing that I think the toughest thing is if there's a night game, you're in Cincinnati, say, you, fl you get up at 5 in the morning to get the airport. You go, you check in your hotel, you're there for 20 minutes, then you go to the ballpark, and then that game ends at midnight. So that, that's just a long day. Yeah. The one thing that I really think about on that is I often forget what my room number is. I would never forget it <laughs> otherwise, but I've, only, I've been in there so short yeah. that it's it, – it, it, yeah, it is. It's it, the, the travel's – it's rough. I, I, I think the one thing about if you're doing baseball, you build up some miles and, with, and some hotel points. So that helps a little bit. But, yeah, it, it wears you down. I, and I think that gives us a little bit of a window into what players go through, that they play 162 games in 180 days with that travel. And, and that's, that's a, a big part of baseball is how well you hold up, how – how you can avoid injury, how you yeah. can stay strong till the end. So that, that gives us a little glimpse into it. I mean, we're not doing anything physical once we get to the ballpark, but it, it does just wear you down. Yeah, I remember when Ken Griffey Jr. hit his 600th home run in Miami. Uh, that game went late. Obviously, the coverage went late. And then the next day, I think the team went on to Philadelphia. I can't remember. But I had an early flight. I had like a 6 a.m. flight out of Miami. So I, I got back to the hotel by like 3, oh. and I was up again by 4 to go to the airport and and it's then brutal. i and then i worked the game that night yeah and i was gassed and um the one thing that has come easier i will say this on the flip side travel is definitely the hardest part of this but pre-check i i will definitely endorse TSA pre-check pre -check is really <laughs> i'm even on that i don't fly a commercial a great deal that's saved, the that has saved us a lot of trouble over yeah. the years and i believe it or not uber and, and lyft uh it's odd enough that it's a lot of places you don't have to rent cars anymore and yeah. it's also you know that you're getting picked up and you know where you're going to go and it's right. in certain cities that's really a lifesaver and that's made things a little easier too have you guys ever woken up in a city and like have to figure out where you are totally yeah like all, I, all the time yeah I, I almost broke my nose one time i don't know if i've told this story publicly but we were i think we were pittsburgh to milwaukee or something and you know it's dark in my room and i get up and the bathroom is to the left in milwaukee but it's to the right in pittsburgh so i wake up and i think i'm still in milwaukee and i head left and bam i hit right <laughs> it, right i ran right into the wall i mean i'm like damn it i'm in I'm in Pittsburgh. 
So I wake up in the middle and I have to figure out where I am. That's happened. I remember in New York once, this is when I was doing Twins, and this is back when it wasn't as sophisticated, but I was at a hotel and I, it was in my third city of a three-city trip, and I kept calling up asking for an iron because it was an iron in my room, and I said, I'm in room, whatever. And three days go by and I never got that iron. And I, I called down and I'm like, well, we've tried sending it to you for three times, but no one's ever answered the door. And I realized I, I've been telling them the room number from the previous city. <laughs> Terrible. Happens all the time. All right. Uh, who are some of your favorite Reds players that you've covered over the years? Who, who are the guys that come to mind? You know, Sean Casey, it's kind of a cliche that you would yeah. say that, but he, he's genuinely a nice, nice guy. I remember one time my wife was with me and we were in Atlanta and we're having lunch and he comes in and uh, he's with his future grandparents-in-law. Yeah. And, he, you know, he introduces, hey, John, how you doing? You know, the whole thing, Casey-esque. So I come to the clubhouse that day and he goes, Johnny, Johnny, come here, come here. He goes, hey, I'm really sorry. I, I, I didn't introduce those people because I didn't know their first names. <laughs> but, yeah. But, there, you know, he, he's obviously, and I, I mean, Jacob Cruz was a great guy. Aaron Boone, who's now the manager, yeah. I, I really liked him. Uh, Boone. Uh, yeah, there's a, it, it, the, by and large, it's been a really good group of guys that mm -hmm. I've covered through the years. Uh, yeah, you know, Bronson Arroyo would oh, come yeah. to mind for yeah. me. Yeah. Uh, he was always great to deal with. I. Even when he was mad, he was good. And, I, yeah. and very rarely was he mad. He's a pretty chill guy. Every now and again, he didn't like the way a game turned out. But uh, he also had, to borrow an expression from a different sport, he had the best court awareness. He could see the big picture, oh, of yeah. not just what was happening. You know, a lot of players just think about what's happening to them in that game or that moment. But Bronson was really good in, in, in describing what things me meant overall to you. And, you know, hey, you should watch out for this because down the road, this right. could really bite us back later on. And, uh, he did really well with that. I think, um, you know, over the years we've had Brian Pena, Todd Frazier that have all been great to deal with. Um, I, I, you know, Edison Volquez, even though there was always a little bit of a language barrier, he worked really hard to, to communicate. And mm -hmm. it's, it's uh, I, like John has said, we've been pretty lucky. Most of the people we've dealt with are good. I yeah. can probably count on one hand the number of guys that were not good to deal with or were not good people. And it's, uh, we've been pretty fortunate. Gino Suarez right now is one of the, the, yeah. the better guys. And Jarrett Hughes is in Sean Casey's class. Is he not? I mean, he's, a, he's unbelievable. He could be the Joe Nuxall good guy, a winner uh, in perpetuity <laughs> yeah. for as long as he's here. Well, I had him on this podcast and I said in the open that he, the first day of spring training, uh, you, you guys might've been there. I don't know. He, he comes up to a small group and say, Hey, I'm Jared Hughes. I just yeah. want to introduce myself. If there's anything you ever need, don't hesitate to ask. And you know a lot of guys are fake about that. Yeah. And today they don't really come through. They don't follow through. But there hasn't been a day where he has not followed through. Even when he gets beat up in a game, he's right there to talk yeah. about it all the time. Was it? I think John was there in Colorado last season. There was a crazy game. Uh, Jared Hughes was pitching, and he's the one that kind of saved the day as the pitcher. I think he got the save because I don't think Iglesias was available. But the game ended up coming down to a, a really nice line drive third out catch in the ninth by Jeanette. And for whatever reason, you know, we were ready to talk to Jared, but Jeanette had to go. And so Jared says, go ahead and talk to Scooter first. I'll wait for you. That's unbelievable. I mean, and Does that happen anywhere? No. 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 The, the, the thing about Bronson was he was brutally honest, too. He was, if you want very few guys yeah. are. Yes. I mean, very yeah. few guys will tell you exactly what. I, I remember when the thing came out where there was going to – that people were taking amphetamines and stuff. Right. So we asked him about it. He's like, yeah, I took greenies. I'm, I'm pitching against the Yankees at 12 noon. <laughs> and, you know, it's like no one that I've ever covered would say that. 
Yeah. I, you know, no doubt about it. You might not like the answer, but he's going to give you a straight answer. Yeah. Um, I like the was, no spin, the no BS. Yeah. He was really good about that. You know, you said you could count on a hand the guys that were hard to deal with. Boy, I'd like to know those players. <laughs> you probably don't want to go there. Do I don't you? care. <laughs> I mean, I probably shouldn't, but yeah, there's, I mean, I think fans would know, obviously, some of the couple of the guys that would be problematic to deal with. They're, they've been in, in, in trouble or they've had some issues with yeah. the media. <laughs> As he turns away, he's biting his lip. I, I could probably. I could. I could probably oh, let's go to the other, the alternate po- podcast that nobody ever gets to listen to, <laughs> and we'll talk. Yeah, well, you know, that it happens. Have there been managers that have been tougher to deal with than others? We had a run here. You know, Dusty was here for a while. Brian Price, what, five seasons? Um, So you haven't dealt with a great deal of managers, but was any that you had problems with or – um, here I've had no problems in Minnesota. The first year I covered baseball anywhere was in, uh, with Tom Kelly, and that ended up being his final year. And, and one of the things that most players or most managers do is they have the pregame manager session, whether it's in the dugout or uh, in the office, whatever. Uh, TK did not have a session. You had to, if you wanted to get him, you had to go on the field during BP while he was hitting fungos and or got, get him behind the cage and try to ask him a question and. Really? More, more often than not, he didn't want to answer that question, or oh. he would give you a kind of a dismissed answer. That's so I, I, he was very old school. I mean, yeah. he basically, if you didn't, and uh, if you didn't like uh, greyhound racing, cigars, and uh, one other thing, I forget. But that, that was basically where his wheelhouse was, and uh, I couldn't relate to that. I was I was yeah. still in my twenties at that time, so I didn't really uh, get TK. But I've been fortunate that Ron Gardenhire was next, and he was fantastic. And you know Jerry Naren, Pete McCannon, Dusty Baker, Brian Price, Jim Riggleman, and now uh, David Bell have all been pretty good to deal with. Yeah, uh, when I had Jack McKeon, Trader I, Jack. Yeah, I was the young guy then. Jack would I, like run the room. He yeah, would. Yeah, yeah. He didn't treat me as well as he did some of the veteran guys. I'll really? say that. You know, yeah. and then I, I came to like Jack, but he he could be a little he could be a little tough to deal with. He would uh, he'd shoot down your questions and stuff. And he had Bob Boone, who I I don't know. I didn't get along great with him, but other than that, I had a couple he, moments he, with Bob Boone yeah. myself. Well, he had really bad teams, and it's yeah. uh, it's tough for any manager. I, I, Dusty was the best I've I've dealt with. Yeah. Just uh, again, he's he's one like Bronson, where he's pretty honest, and he's just a he's a really good guy. Aside from all the manager stuff, and and David Bell's just a he's just a nice guy. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it goes astounding. out of his way to worry about. It. He's like, you know, I'm really sorry about being three minutes late. Yeah, and I'm like. It's all good. We we were used to waiting. And the, and the one thing about Dusty that was besides uh, that's like Bronson is that he could talk to Dusty about anything other than baseball and still be right. very yeah. uh, entertained or interested. Dusty could speak on a myriad of issues that have nothing to do with the sport, and he can be very intelligent about all of them. And and Bronson was that way yeah. as well. Bob Boone dropped one of my favorite lines ever in post game. Uh, what was it? What do you want us to do? Grovel on our own self pity? Like, <laughs> no, just. Talk about the game, please. <laughs> That's a tough day. <laughs> yeah. It's like, wow, all right. That's yeah. He did not have good teams. Um, what are some of the fun stories? If if I ask you, you know, some of the the funnier things that have happened, I know I'm putting you on the spot here and you might not have things that you can actually tell on this podcast because it is family oriented. We at least try to keep it that way. But what are some funny things or some of the funniest guys that you've been around? 
I think without a doubt, and John would agree, I think one of the more funnier things that happen, it's not even a player, is when Marty Brenneman comes breezing into the clubhouse. And you don't know what you're going to hear. It, it, usually the, the, the worst thing you can hear from him is coming to you and goes, now let me ask you a question. Yeah, and the, you brace yourself. And you brace yourself. And that happened one day, and John remembers this, and I know you remember this, Jim. Uh, one time there was an unnamed uh, local videographer. Oh, yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll keep him unnamed. And <laughs> he did some uh, extra work for one of the local teams here that was not the Reds. And he was spotted by some of his colleagues taking a shower with the players uh, post-game. <laughs> and when Marty found that out, he, he went to this he person and, and said, let me ask you a question. And, and then what, what happens is when Marty makes fun of you, the idea is you laugh it off and you don't. you may give him some light. Yeah you know light protest but nothing in the way of serious well this person made the mistake of of engaging with marty and being defensive and that's the worst thing you could do and the next 10 minutes that followed were some of the funniest things i've ever seen in a club <laughs> oh, yeah yeah people ask me about you know your favorite times we were in chicago one time my wife was with me day game i called her i said hey you, you want to meet for dinner or whatever she goes marty's in the bar let's go down there so we hung out at the Western Bar, which is a, a very one one bar where you'll see players and yeah. management. And and Marty was just Marty for the public, and it's probably the hardest I've ever laughed in my life. Just he he he's a very entertaining man. <laughs> Let's just he put is. it that way. There's no doubt about it. And man. we're in we're in the booth with him. And I yeah. I, I, I wanted I, to ask you guys about the booth. I, um, that has to be. Uh, and I've been in there. I filled in last year, so I've been a part of it. But uh, just going in there during the game has to be an honor. Yeah, it was the, the, my first one was, you know how Marty is. I come in, I sit on this little stool between him and it was Joe at the time. And he's like, I got you. You're mine now. I'm going to, you know, and very colorful language, light you up and all this stuff. And I'm, I'm sweating. I'm scared to death. And as soon as it comes on, it's like, and welcome, John Fair, good friend. And I'm like, oh, man, he just put me at ease. And it, th yeah. that's been, Mark will tell you, too. It's one, been one of the pleasures of our job it to really do that. Is. I, if you, I, I actually look forward to getting lit up by Marty. And just the most recent time I was uh, in there, uh, you know, he found out about me getting a senior discount at Dunkin' Donuts in Goodyear, and we he, we had we had a back and forth that went at least two, you know, maybe two batters, and it's it was hilarious. And I don't care, you know, I, yeah. I don't mind being made fun of by Marty Brown. Oh, yeah. I mean, you wear it like a badge of honor. Yeah, and and it's like what he does is so great is that he can talk about any frivolous topic about you. You know, what you did last night, what food you ate, or when he wants to make fun of you. And then the minute the game action happens where, you know, obviously when we do it, the Reds are pitching mm -hmm. most of the time. And the the ball, the ball, you know, that's a base hit to the right field corner and the hits the cutoff man. And he's right on point with the right. with the play-by-play. -play. I think that's a really big gift. Well, he named John here the, the bank president, which I loved. Yeah. It, was, it was because you had days off, right? Right, right. So you had yeah, bank yeah, president yeah. hours. Welcome that, in the bank president, John. Well, that's, that's that's completely changed because now he has days off. <laughs> but my, my one where I got Marty was I said, you call me the bank president because I take time off. You play more golf than Arnold Palmer, who was alive at the time. So, you know, when, when, you, when you get Marty, he appreciates it. Oh, yeah, yeah. when one, you give it back. One time I uh, – a couple of years ago, I think we were in Chicago, and he had played golf somewhere, and he posted a picture of a ball next to a hole, and apparently it was the closest he had ever come to a hole-in-one. Yeah. And I hear people at coming up to him in the clubhouse, hey, I heard you almost got a hole-in-one, blah, blah, blah. Well, I did the second inning that night. And he's like, what, my, welcome in, my you know my friend, we hope yours, Mark Sheldon. Mark? I go, Marty, how's your shoulder doing? He's like, what? I'm like, how's your shoulder? He's like, why are you asking me about my shoulder? I said, well, I thought you may have heard it from patting yourself on the back all day about your golf shot. And, and he loved that. It was fun. And uh, I think everyone knows how I feel about Marty. Heck, he's been the 
biggest guest on this podcast so far, but um, he also makes it hard for others in this way. He has earned the right, and he's very critical. He's a dying breed. When he goes away, I'm not sure there's any game broadcasters that are make pointed comments and get on the team and wail on players. And everyone else in the Reds market, is that's all they've known. They, I mean, we're talking 46 years. For many people, that's all they've known, and they think that's the way it is everywhere. So they're wondering why everyone else isn't like that all the time. And he can get away with it. Let's face it. There are some guys that can get away with it, some guys that can't. But do you find that people are wondering why you're not being more critical? Like they always say, oh, Cincinnati is a soft media market, et cetera. Uh, yeah, you hear that a lot. But if, if you travel to the other markets and read what their people write, it's, it's, it's not true. Um, yeah. I, I think in this day and age, it's changed where because what happened in the game is so immediately available. You have to be maybe not as critical, but you have to be more analytic than you were before. And, and, and sometimes you have to say a guy didn't make a play or, or whatever. I, I You know – the thing you got to be careful about is criticize. You got you can criticize a performance, but you can't criticize the person so much. So it, it yeah, you walk that fine line, and yeah. and that's that's the run-ins you have. That those are the biggest ones I've had with with players over. I, you know, said they they made a bad play or whatever, and they don't take that well. <laughs> yeah, I, I will say that the players that I've seen it go both ways, and I've seen a player yell at you once. I've had a player yell at me once, but I've also had players come up to me very politely and take me aside in private. And explain to me, okay, I saw you wrote that, but now here's what, you know, for whatever reason, it didn't come up last night or I didn't talk to that player because the game had changed to another direction. But the player will explain to me what, what was happening on that play. Yeah. Uh, Mark Berry, the former third base coach, because I one time kind of criticized them for getting a guy thrown out at home. And he took me aside and, and explained to me the play. And from that, I understood it. And I kind of helped me understand baseball a little bit better because right. of it. I, I appreciate that. Analytics nowadays. There's a, is there a fine line there as well? Because the people that are following you are probably hardcore fans. The people that are reading your stories are probably hardcore baseball fans. But the ones that aren't, aren't necessarily up to speed on analytics. I mean, I'm still learning analytics. Everyone is still learning analytics. I mean, you turn around and there's a, there's a new stat that comes out, a new way to break it down. Where are you guys on analytics? How much do you include it? How much do you, is it going to grow? Or do you stay away from it? Where are you guys at? Well, I think you can't ignore it, obviously. You have to look at different stats. You don't put a player's average. You use a slash line, which is average, on-base percentage, slugging. You can. I'm on baseball reference all the time looking at, at things, and mm -hmm. it's astounding what you can find. Um, but you don't want to overdo it because there are people that don't understand it. So it, it, there, there really is a fine line. And I think the people, the majority of people that find you, follow you on Twitter are really big into analytics. And yeah. they think, but I think there's also a nuance. Uh, David Bell got heavily criticized about letting Day, uh, Tyler Malley hit the other day. Um, yeah. It's a couple weeks ago now. But. You know, what we know is that the bullpen was tired, and he had to do that. And I think everybody looks at everything as a cut-and-dried number 
decision. It's not that way. There's there's the human element, and, and that'll always be in the game. And I think managers and uh, coaches have to deal with that as well. And I think fans have to understand that too. It's just not – you just can't punch in numbers and, and figure out how to win. You have yeah. to understand the, the people involved. One thing I like about – analytics and we uh, full disclosure we own statcast and we created that uh, as a function and what i like about it is that i can use that to explain why something happened it, you know you see it with your eyes the guy hit the tar out of the ball and for whatever reason it wasn't caught and you you want to look at the well why isn't it caught and that can explain what a billy hamilton play was like mm-hmm. okay that guy ran 108 feet to make a catch that had a 12 percent catch probability and he made it you know and that's I think, like John says, you can't overdo it, but I think if you can use it as a way to explain what everyone saw with a little, some facts behind it, rather than saying it looked like a good play, you could say, well, this right. is why it was a good play, yeah. and or that was a hard hit home run. Well, this is how hard it was actually hit, and I think it just adds nuance to your stories. It adds nuance to broadcasts, and I, I, I think it's good if you use it the right way. But at the end of the day, baseball is a game that relies on kind of feel and eyes and all those things, I think when you can merge the two together is when you're having a most successful uh, experience. All right, I want to put you guys on the spot. Why not, huh? Sure. All right, improve the game of baseball at the major league level. What would you do? I'll let Mark Give me some bullet points. What comes to mind? I would definitely – they're already going this way, but I would definitely – Eliminate leaving the batter's box during at bats to adjust every piece of equipment. Drives me crazy. That drives me crazy. Enforce I would, the rule. There's a rule in place. Yeah, absolutely. And they don't enforce it. I think the one that I've heard coming up now, and I'm curious to see if they would do it, is if relievers don't need to warm up when they come into a game. They've already warmed up in the bullpen. Maybe give them two pitches on the mound just so they can get the feel for the mound. And yeah. then just turn them loose. Because, I, I mean, I don't know what those eight pitches – Right. coming in would do and I, I think with especially with the specialization you could have three pitching changes in an inning and why not make those go a little faster by just saying all right the pitcher's in turn them loose let's go and right. I, I think that would really help the whole pace of the game thing yeah I, I think that that's the thing they have to look at is pace of the game because we know when we cover games the difference between a three and a half hour game and a two and a half hour game a two and a half hour game is a much nicer experience I, I'm, I'm for the pitch clock it's kind of odd, but I, I think the three batter minimum, we've seen it a lot this year because David Bell makes a lot of moves. I think yeah. it would speed up the game. And, uh, you know, and, and the pitch clock, I watched it a lot in, in spring training. It really doesn't affect the game that much until you get into these tight situations yeah. with relievers where they, they just slow the game to a halt. What's the difference between them and a starting pitcher? They, they should be able to – 15 seconds is plenty of time. So I, I, yeah, I think I'm they're going go to go to that. I'm all for 15-second pitch clock, not 20. I, I'm, I, I don't understand. There, you know, a guy will throw three pitches. I mean, how hard is it to decide um, which pitch yeah. to throw? I, I don't necessarily think it's the time of game, although three and a half hours is rough. Um, I don't think the hardcore fan cares if it's 250 or – 305 it is the pace of play it's between pitches it is like you said stepping out of the batter's box to me velcro has killed the game can we get rid of velcro you got to adjust the velcro after each pitch which drives me crazy come out and practice you know take a practice swing well how many thousands of swings have you taken 
Um, keep a guy in the box and and find out find a way. And I don't know the answer to this to put more balls in play. There are just not as many balls in play. There's not enough action going on during the game. I don't think people care necessarily about the length of game. It is what's happening pitch to pitch and how much downtime there is. Well, if it's a three and a half hour game and it's entertaining, that's great. Yeah, I don't have a problem with an entertaining three and a half hour nail biter. I mean, there's there's two hour games that, that while it's appreciated that they go fast, but there's not a lot of action. There's a, probably yeah. a one nothing game, so there is a, a medium somewhere. But with the specialization of pitchers and now all the information that's out there about hitters and the video and the Statcast, is that pitchers really do have an advantage now with the shifting. It's just not a lot going on at times because there's just no hits because they yeah. they have the field covered they have the pitchers know what to what to expect right and they're much better these pitchers are all once in a you know in the past a guy that threw 95 to 100 was an anomaly now most of them do yeah it's, it makes it harder to hit i'm for expanding the strike zone and people will probably initially say wow um that's going to lead to more strikeouts strike too many strikeouts are a big part of the game well, i think guys will start swinging the bat more because they're afraid of a strike and they're going to eventually put more balls in play it, it, that's just my thought if you would expand the one of the other things i do is with uh with the the instant replay you got 90 seconds if you can't change the call in 90 seconds the yeah. call stands come back on because that that is a stop and play i mean that's yeah. what you know we're watching umpires stand there with headphones it's just it, oh believe me when i'm in the booth i'm like oh time brutal. to fill <laughs> brutal and you can't go to a commercial i believe right uh, normally not no yeah. sometimes we'll get a promo in there or something but uh it's uh yeah it's it's filling time they, they've done a little bit better job of that um and I, I one trend that i do see is some of these young pitchers coming coming up that have had the pitch clock they seem to be working quicker particularly the starters the young starters that are coming up are working quicker and i hope that that trend continues because it's just ingrained in them coming through the minor leagues i hope that changes. i before i let you go i know you you guys got to do your uh, regular job here um People are fascinated with Joey Votto. What's Joey Votto like to cover? Ooh. He's interesting for sure. Yeah, he's, he's, I always way. say he's, a, he's, a, he's different. He's, he's very thoughtful. I don't, I don't think he loves doing it, but when he, when he talks, he's really good. He, he's just different than any baseball player I've ever been around. I think maybe part of it is a Canadian. He's very smart. One thing I, I say about him is we transcribe. We type. We, we tape our interviews and then we transcribe them when you transcribe joey Votto, it's almost perfect english perfect syntax all the way through he's yeah. just he's, he's he's a different guy but uh i think he's underappreciated as a, as a player tremendously in cincinnati because of some of the the, the rbi thing and that kind of but this guy this guy's probably the best reds hitter ever yeah, I agree. I think fans don't really see what's in front of them right now, that they're dealing with a guy that very well could have a Hall of Fame career. I think because, because he's more of the analytics side for people, that he's kind of the one of the first waves of the real big analytic guys, mm -hmm. that the people that are so used to 500 home runs and 3,000 hits and, and you know RBIs are missing a really good career. Um, he's also the smartest player I've probably ever covered. He's definitely the most interesting. He can talk about issues outside of baseball as well. Yeah. Um, and he's incredibly polite for the most part. He doesn't suffer fools gladly. He wants you to actually ask him a question. And I think right. when sometimes when TV folks come in and they aren't clued into the game or the or the, what's been going on in the context, uh, he he comes across a little bit different on TV than he does maybe in print. And um, stupid TV people. Sorry, Jim, but no, you <laughs> Gosh, ask you ask it. you actually ask good questions. So TV. no, sometimes I make statements. 
it's it's hard to uh, ask questions and because our questions get on a lot. You guys write right. the, the yeah. answers. I feel um, free there. Yeah, yeah. it's tough. And I'm not saying it's tough. You make a statement, and a guy will have you know engage in a conversation with you. But there are some guys if you don't actually ask, you make a statement, don't ask a question, they, they get, you got a question in there. That's that's a problem. Sometimes yeah. it doesn't it, translate well. You yeah. were saying that funny players, Scott Rowland, when oh you my said, oh. "I got two questions for you." You've already asked one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he laid that on me. Can all I the ask time. you two questions? I know. You already asked one, and then I would have to like if I had two questions, I'd say I got three questions for you. <laughs> well, you've already used one. Now you got two. All right, bingo. Yeah, he was. He laid that on me all the time. He was priceless in the sense yeah. that he was inner dry like he you can't explain scott Rowland to people yeah. that don't know him but he had a dry sense of humor oh, yeah. and he had a way of letting you know also oh, yeah. through humor yeah. maybe he screwed up something and he does that with, oh, with his no teammates question. too I, mean, I wish i could tell my favorite scott Rowland story but i can't but uh it's not oh. it's not pg oh okay well. or even uh even r <laughs> <laughs> well he, he came in the i won't name the player but he came in the clubhouse one day and the media was all around a certain locker and he said Oh, what's Superstar talking about down there? Oh, let me guess, himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's would, how he gets his point across. One yeah. time, uh, somebody was jaking a pop fly drill in spring training, yeah. and he, he let it be known through humor that that wasn't acceptable. And yeah. it, it's it, he's an interesting cat, and I, I definitely respect yeah. him. Votto talks about him being the biggest influence on him in his career. And you can I see can that. see a little bit of Votto rolling in Votto now. Because over the last couple of years, Votto's really starting to talk to younger players a lot. He's a lot more open about it. Um, so I think he's got a little bit of Scott rolling in him. And he's a funny guy, Votto, by the way. Yeah, he, he is. People think, oh, he's, you know, he, he, like you said, he comes off kind of um, aloof, maybe abrasive or yeah. aloof on TV. And he's not like that at all. He's very thoughtful. He's, he's very kind and a very funny guy. So uh, much like, you know, you two. Which <laughs> we didn't even get into the whole John from the West Side and yeah, all the gags yeah, yeah. we always make fun of each other about. Well, I mean, we got, you know. I don't know. Man. <laughs> I think we're out of time. Out of t- well, how about next time? We'll have oh the, yeah, we'll do it. Again. Another round table. Can sure, we do that? Absolutely. And, and we'll talk about what a tease. Weeks oh, from now, people will be who knows? John Fay and, and his feeling about draft beer. Stay tuned. <laughs> oh, see now you now you're getting into things. I, this podcast is usually really loose conversations. I mean, this might be the most serious podcast I've done, which is uh, which is you know not what I had in mind. But the the topics we talked about were were great. I think it gives an insight to the the fans out there of what you guys go through and how the business is changing, et cetera. But I guarantee we're going to get into draft beer and John from the West Side next time, though. All right. Where can we find your work, John Fay? Uh, Cincinnati.com and John Fayman at – oh, that's that's my uh, Twitter thing. Yeah. <laughs> People know go. where that is. I, they don't have to look hard for that. Uh, you can get me on MLB.com, Reds.com, on Twitter at M underscore Sheldon, and Sheldon MLB on Instagram. And I also have a Facebook page you can look up if you'd like to like it. Very nice. Gentlemen, thank you so much for the insight. Thank you for joining me on the Lowly Gym Day podcast. It was a lot of fun. Thank Thank you. you. All right. Hope you enjoyed the conversation there, taking you behind the scenes with Mark Sheldon and John Fay. And we invite you to follow along with them as they cover the Cincinnati Reds. We'll have some more baseball roundtables in the future, I'm sure. We thank you or thank them for their time. Um, and again, we're just kind of letting this thing roll. We don't know where it's going to go, whether it be baseball roundtables, one guest, two guests. Uh, I imagine we'll eventually do interviews on the phone. I don't know. I've been trying to do these face-to-face, though, at least to start with. 
So, you know, eventually that's going to be tough to do, and we'll probably have to do some on the phone or some other electronic medium. Um, so just stay tuned. I don't know what's down the road, but I promise you they're going to be entertaining conversations. If you'd like to follow along with me, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at JimDayTV. Follow along on Reds.com and all the social media platforms of the Reds. They do a terrific job, continue to do a terrific job. And we thank you once again for checking us out here on the Jim Day Podcast. Until next time, so long, everyone. <laughs>